Welcome to another episode of the uh, Novum Insightful. And it gives me great pleasure to be in this episode with James Burney, very forward-thinking lawyer who's, who's been deep in the crypto space for about five years and, and uh, always have a good conversation with James about sort of the weird and wonderful things that people are trying to do in crypto. And he, he can sometimes explain to them that it's legal and sometimes not. Welcome to the Novum Insightful. Thank you for coming on. Uh, absolutely delighted to be here. Amazing. Um, so, so James, obviously, you're you're sort of, I guess, a bit of a trailblazer in some ways. You're you're, as far as I can tell, you're you're pretty much focused on crypto, a hundred percent. Ninety five to hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which which is which is pretty good because I think in in UK law. That that pretty much makes you one of the few, I'd say. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, what you're seeing is different types of lawyers trying to get into crypto. Um, I think the beating heart of crypto, love it or hate it, is the regulatory side of it. And as a general regulator, law, I got interested in crypto early on because it was weird, difficult, and complicated in the early years and it hasn't felt disappoint so that that's why i kind of love working with it and and things just growing really from then um but it's kind of starting with the regulatory side then building up all the other infrastructure from them like you know you know musk had the, had the battery and then created tesla cars i'm trying to do the same with crypto starts with the regulatory which is at the heart of it and then building up the infrastructure around that very good um and so i guess james for so so i think Crypto entrepreneurs often, sadly, are um, uh, um, code first and ask questions later type of uh, people in some ways, and and sort of, but but clearly, like everyone um, is is conscious that they want to be within the law, um, but but sometimes um, the. A problem that I've come across quite regularly, I get involved in some of these grassroots projects and, and sort of people sort of go, oh, wouldn't it be like many people just don't have the background in securities law or or um, sort of, and, and, and many of the things being created are very inventive, maybe, maybe not new. Um, so how 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 do you come across that? Because a twenty four year old deciding to put yield on some, on a token that they've just sort of created coding, how how do how do you you bridge that gap? Because I think sometimes people are, are straying into regulated territory without even realizing it. Kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the starting point here is. is putting everything else aside and asking, you know, what are you commercially trying to achieve is the first question. And then, you know, I always encourage you to speak to me sooner rather than later because, you know, I have more than my fair share of people who've reinvented the fund, come my way, give it to me. I go, that's a fund. Need um, to have the following. They say that kills the project. And then we all look at the floor for 10 minutes. Um, and then the conversation switches to, well, what changes can we make to make this legally viable? 
Um, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, what you if you're going to create something new, it's not your job necessarily to know the law when you start off. But if you're going to go down into a more regulated world, then people are going to want you to comply with and understand the rules. But what you want to do first off and straight off only is, is sanity test your idea, you know, and is it a flyer or isn't it a flyer? And the other thing to be wary of is there is a massive drive, given the nature of blockchain crypto, to go, oh, I want to, you know, a number of times you get, I'm going to do a worldwide project and it's going to be fantastic. Well, I was involved with some of the early ones, including one firm which got a legal opinion in 150 different countries to say what it was doing was legal. That is a very, very expensive hobby to have. Um, do you really want that? And I, I think, and that's why, you know, kind of where you're going to be based, which jurisdiction you're coming into, and having a chat early on. And that doesn't mean spend a minute legal fees. I mean, having a early 30 minute, 40 minute chat with a lawyer, regulatory lawyer, to, to find out whether what they're doing is causing them to break out in a cold sweat or whether they're smiling and saying it's fundamentally a good idea. You can then park your lawyer for as long as you need to to get the other parts to work, and then you can touch base them later on. But an early chat can, can save a lot of work because, you know, if they know what they're doing, they should be able to give you fairly clearly and early on a broad steer where, where the major roadblocks are, and, and then it's a question of working what you want to do from that. Amazing. Um, so where, where, where do you think we are at in sort of, I guess, in, from a UK lens, um, the FCA is, 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 is doing a lot to, to at least recognize that crypto is a thing and you can register as a crypto asset company with the FCA. And the, the, it seems that we're in a, in a better space than we were say, five years ago in terms of the powers that be sort of recognizing crypto. But where, where, where do you think we are in terms of sort of regulatory openness to, to everything that's going on? Uh, I think we're in a period of evolution. I mean, I kind of see this as sort of a broader picture. When I started, I mean, I started crypto by acting on the first successful initial coin offering in the UK. If you'd gone into the FCA at that point and was talking about those sorts of things, they would look at you slightly blankly and not know what you were talking about. And crypto seems a weird thing that certain people did, no one understood. Wasn't it going to go mainstream? Who cares? It's for, it's for sort of geeky kids who, who, who understand each other and the retail wouldn't be affected. That then changed, is now changing to becoming more mainstream and more people want to open things up for retail and all the rest of it. And that comes with advantages and disadvantages. Um, I mean, the, the advantage is, is there's more money, there's more activity, there's more people coming in, it's growing fast. The disadvantage is, you know, if you still, certainly start bringing in retail people, you know, they can lose money, they can get upset, they can be harmed, they don't really understand necessarily what they're getting themselves into. We've currently got that position now with the FCA, where the FCA are seeing all this happening, um, and they've got to work out the best route forward from their perspective, and it's about from them, they've got to tread a very fine line because if they green light everything, they'll get lots of points for innovation. But if something goes wrong, they'll be seen as having been too too permissive and letting any part of the Caribbean type infrastructure into the UK. If they're too negative, then okay, you know, the consumers get hurt directly, but then people tend to move offshore and they're not being innovative enough. And they're in that kind of no win situation at the moment. 
But as these, but as they, you know, as we've seen more and more companies get onto the final register, what you're beginning to see is the laws of of, of gravity in terms of, you know, what is an acceptable, what are the accepted hurdles you have to cross to get there becoming clearer and clearer. And once you've seen some get through, people get more confidence, they talk to each other, people start to get more of an idea as, as to what the magic answers are and the best way to move forward is. And that's where you get things moving forward. And I think the big question from the UK perspective is, is what sort of jurisdiction do we want to be? Do you want to be sort of that jurisdiction where you can do literally anything, but it's very high risk? Or do we want to be highly regulated? And the perception you think at the moment is we're heading towards something in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, when you come to your business, the question is, is which, which sort of, it's about philosophy. What sort of philosophy regulator fits your business effectively? Um, and different regulators are taking different philosophies, and the UK philosophy is somewhere in between the two extremes. Yeah, well, well, it's good. Uh, I guess it's a very British solution to sort of go for a middle ground, right? So, so the, um, uh, but the, um, yeah, no, and it, it certainly, it does seem, since ever I've been in crypto, I'm sort of, um, um, someone someone pointed out to me that that at some point that they'd given up railing against scams and and other things because because essentially everyone every crime in crypto was a victimless crime and everyone wanted just the show to keep on going and didn't mind with a bit of diversification and a bit of sort of protecting yourself against hacks and sort of things sort of every wipeout you have in your portfolio you, you you it's made up by 510x here there um which which is a really interesting thought experiment from my perspective like what i love about the crypto market is almost the deregulated light touch yeah of it, right? and what i love is is you know i, I love comparing crypto with shares because you know, you get like Polypec, you get Ponzi schemes, like the original Ponzi scheme. You know, the, the, the idea of fraud, scams, hacks, all the rest of it, they're not unique to crypto. They existed before crypto. Yes, there's a lot of it in crypto, but part of that is in the market. And one of the things I like to do is look at it historically. So if you go back far enough, there's something called the South Sea Bubble, mm. where they... Um, basically made shares effectively illegal in the UK unless you've got a parliamentary statute that it go forwards. And if you take the things said about shares at the time in terms of the idea that they were kind of nebulous, no one really understood them, what is a company, does it really exist, what rights do you really get, you can take that charter, apply it to crypto, and you could almost the same outcome. And yes, in the modern day and age, you can buy a junior ISIS so a 16-year-old can get asset, can get shares of the company because that seems fundamentally a good thing, whereas crypto assets are, are kind of, you know, yet to go through it. Um, that was in the South Sea bubble is, is, you know, the UK economy suffered because you couldn't have shares in the company and they had to reverse it and they brought back shares later on. I mean, what, what I think would be interesting is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, do you really know what a share is? Because it's not a right to dividend. It's not ownership rights in the company. It's none of that. A share is simply a right to the proceeds in the event that a company goes insolvent. And the number of asset managers out there going, come and buy this wonderful set of shares, which will give you the right to all these companies go insolvent, aren't that high. Yet people seem to fundamentally think that they somehow understand what shares are. 
And then there's, you know, and, and you know, the only other thought I had was, um, you know, the other thing is, is the obsession that crypto can be reduced to nothing. Well, the same again is also true with shares. And in some ways, it's even more true for shares because if you get something like Dogecoin, that was considered a very flaky crypto asset. It went to nothing. And then suddenly, sometime later, we all decided we like it and it flicks back up again. If you bought shares in the company which went bust, then there is no return from the dead, effectively. So, you know, in, in a way, some of the risks are even more appropriate for shares than for crypto. But crypto is the one which has caught people's imagination. Uh, and, and, you know, in some ways, rightly so, because, you know, there is more fraud and hacking in crypto than there are in shares. But plus that is, is, is the need for the market to mature. And when that happens, I can see a world in, in you know, if I speak to your grandchildren, your grandchildren go, of course I'm buying crypto. Wouldn't everybody? Yeah, and and I think it is the liquidity is really sort of in terms of in just sort of looked at as a pure investment. I typically find crypto a relatively, I mean, as safe an asset class as you can get because the 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 um, the asymmetric upside that you have on particular crypto investments sort of can make up just from building a portfolio of these things for, for any any volatility that you're having in the portfolio. So and you can you can balance it in a way that trading aim stocks or uh, EIS investments, I think you're 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 probably running into much riskier territory in my opinion. I didn't. Yeah I, I, I think I, mean, I love it is it, it, is risk in return. And the, the standing assumption, for whatever reason at the moment, is, you know, we want to keep things low risk, therefore you must get low return. I mean, that, that seems to be almost the standing mantra. Crypto is almost the complete opposite of that. It's high risk for high return. To me, you know, it's a question about knowing what you're getting into. What you, the worst possible investment is high risk for low return. And when you're looking at some of the, the, the perceived, you know, some of these things, which are perceived overviews and all the rest of it, there is a lot of risk involved. Yet people are going, oh, well, it can't be that high risk because I'm getting such a bad return for it. And that's possibly the worst possible thing you could, you could possibly go for. I mean, you know, and there, is, there is a middle ground between I'm going to take every single one of my last pennies in a crypto asset to see what happens next and mm -hmm. not judge you at all. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's an element of, of at-risk money which you are fed to put in high-risk things. Crypto is a high-risk thing. It's about coming in and being aware that, that you are running a risk. But at the same time, you know, that, that could have a huge upside. But equally, if it goes down, that's something you have to be prepared for. And one of the interesting things I've seen has been, you know, statements by, by you know, one of the banks in Asia, Kim, was saying that it thought its wealthy clients of 1% in crypto. Because it took, if it's for if you're a wealthy, high enough individual and you one percent of your assets, that's not particularly you know, your cope. You know, please, but your cope. However, if it goes up ten times in value, that one percent of your assets becomes ten times, yeah, ten percent of your assets. And, and they were viewing that was part of a sensible balance. Well, I think the key thing is, is the word balanced. If you see what I mean. Mm. And so, the crypto, if you see crypto as high risk, high return, that doesn't mean don't use it. It means you just go in with your eyes open and, and know that you're taking a high risk. But the reason you're doing that is because you, you are after that high return as a result.
Yeah, and I would hazard to guess that the the, the people who who then get that result end up uh, having slightly more of their portfolio in crypto. But but it's a, it's a very yeah. intriguing form of balance. So I guess in terms of sort of legal definitions, are you are you fooling in in sort of particular ways to classify certain types of tokens and NFTs? Do we do we think we're getting clarity on 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 those? I think there's always been clarity. Okay. I think lawyers are the world's worst communicators. Um mainly because if you go to lawyers be blunt about it, they tend to give you 10 minutes to how complicated everything is that they look more important more impressive sometimes. Um, look at the end of the day, the, the difficulty the difficulty isn't a lack of clarity as the classification of each token. The difficulty is when a token is classified in a way you don't want it to be classified, and you have to change the nature of that token to get out of it. And there are, you know, and, and in the US it's different. So in the US it is complicated because it's done by analogy, and that gives everyone a migraine, and each state can go off its own thing. But if you're in the UK, you, there's a piece of legislation called the Regulatory Disorder. It lists every type of security which exists, you simply go to the list, you see if it ticks any of the boxes, if it ticks all the back boxes from the securities, it's the security. And the two areas where you have fun and games, my better way of putting it, are the one which everybody hates is the definition of a fund. Because when you step back, all a fund is, is you take assets, to the market the assets are, for a group of people, manage it as if it were all one and give them a rate of return. Lots of tokens which give yield tend to want to fall within that definition. The only reason why every trading company in the UK isn't a fund is a specific exemption for trading companies. It's overly broad. I think it's too broad, but it is the way it is. Um, and, and, and that's the one which could everyone at the mark game. The other one is e-money, which is often, um, how can I put this, good news when you look at it harder because things which you think might be e-money, sometimes aren't e-money, we look at the definition, particularly around the question of whether the asset is created for the purpose of a payment service or not. Um, and that's why you're getting changes currently being looked at in terms of, you know, stable coins being used for payment services, whether they should be proved as a regulated activity in their own right, because it's seen as the e-money thing is sometimes a bit too restrictive for its own good. But, but the short answer is, is, is these things are, are clear. The issue comes is when you don't like the answer I'm giving you, if you see what I mean, and then we have to change things. That's not a lack of clarity. That's a lack of an outcome you want to hear. Yeah, no, no, that seems fair enough. So, so, so the, the, and, and I guess the, the, and the issue is a lot of these things start pretty small, right? And, 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 and probably um, someone listing, a Ford experiment on Uniswap probably should be consulting you, but often these people are um, a person with a backpack who's who raised 500k on Uniswap, and um, um, the idea suddenly flies, and they've got a 50 million market cap, and and, and it's all the wrong way around. What? And it's all the wrong way around because yeah. the problem is, is, is you know. You set it up, you speak to the lawyer, the lawyer wants to get paid, that's a cost, you have no money at that particular moment. If it's highly successful, the money's come in, you can now afford the lawyer, but unfortunately, it's already happened. 
So, you know, I don't know the answer, but, but it is fundamentally, in my view, flawed because you want the legal advice at the beginning, you can pay for it at the end, if you see what I mean. And that's where sometimes, you know, depending on what it is, something being a bit more imaginative around legal fees works for these sorts of things. Because, you know, I've got one for SAS, for example. You know, if you're going to a SAS for a new token, you can't afford necessarily for lawyers to put together all the different bits at the beginning of it, because bluntly the reason you're doing it is SAS is to raise money for the new token. So having it so it's delayed or successfully signed is the answer. But there is a fundamental problem, which is, you know, these things are the wrong way around. Um, and there's a number of, 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 that's where, you know, if you can have a chat with a lawyer beforehand, a quick chat, that sometimes can, you know, if they know what they're doing, you can cover a lot of ground very quickly, if you see what I mean. And at least then you have a, a warm and fuzzy glow on top of it. And one of the worst things I ever had for a bloke was he came up to me and said, he rang me up and he went, uh, James, I've just launched a token on Uniswap. Um, I never heard of the FCA. Can you let me know what I've done? And you can just feel the, the sort of fear and panic in the room because, you know, he, 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 he bloody hadn't, I don't think he slept all night because he's now suddenly discovered that he'd done something. It was regulated. And, and suddenly he, he's worried about what the hell's going on. And he's lost. He was just a sort of, you know, uh, I mean, luckily it all turned out all right, but he, he thought it was worse than it was going to be, if you're serious. I mean, uh, and he just didn't want to be in that position. Yeah, no, no, and um, and um, yeah, no, no, the the um, I remember vividly a um, an entrepreneur who suddenly had a um, a runaway success on an NFT um, project um, and and um, had put into the public domain like ten of the a thousand would take a proportion of the proceeds of the raise and 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 suddenly like. Um, like um you 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 do basically people point out you do realize you probably created some form of financial instrument probably a security and uh, or maybe a fund as you say um and uh, and the poor guy was just like the thing had turned into a runaway success over three days and then was suddenly needing to contact various different lawyers and figure figure out what on earth he'd created yeah <laughs> Everyone talks about the regulator here, which I always find quite funny. The biggest problem you've got is the investor. And the, 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 the fundamental problem is, you know, if you create an illegal fund and that fund goes up in value and then you wind up and give them back their money and they've made money as a result of it, no one's that angry. If it's like, really, I mean, this is their mad, if you're serious, I mean, which is case you get. But, but by and large, you've made the money. The real issue is if you put together something which is a fund and you lose money for them, under the rules, um, because that function have existed, it's what we call a void transaction. And that means that you've got to give them back their money as if they hadn't invested. And then effectively what you're creating then, if you're not careful, is an option for every single investor. Because if I know that you're going to create an illegal fund, I could maliciously give you £100 if the £100 goes to £120, I take the profit. If the £100 goes to £80, I turn around to you go, that was illegal, that was void, give me back my £100. Mm. Effectively, I've got a one-way option for an investor, so I, so I do well whatever happens, because if it goes wrong, I bankrupt you, and if it goes well, I get more money, effectively. 
And that's where the real threat here is, because there's an act of motivation in on your investors to come after you, get it declared void and, 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 and create new problems. And that's, and you know, that, I'm not saying, the, and the SCA will, will close these things down, have people look at these things and all the rest of it. But the fundamental point is there's also massive motivation in the room here among the people who've um, given you money to come over and make your life misery because these guys are nice to you until you lose the money, then by and large, a lot less nice to you. Seriously. And that's why it's worth, that, that's the real reason why it's really worth taking these things seriously because you, you will have a motivated set of investors who will want to find a way to get their money back. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you want to, you want to um, ensure that these things are are well handled and um, um, and uh, um, yeah, are 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 protecting the business and protecting the entrepreneur and protecting the token community really. Um, so, so where where do you see? Um, obviously, like we've had a big year. For the non-fungible tokens and and these things, and I think their legal status is probably less clear. But I'd I, I'd be interested to know what 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 you think about the NFTs and and those. Their status is actually pretty clear. The point at the moment is because the FCA registration regime has been relatively slow, people are trying to find a thousand ways of of moving their business in a way which is legally compliant but avoids registration requirement. And actually the biggest lack of clarity in the UK at the moment is around the phrase making entry review to a transaction in crypto asset. Because that wording was copied from another piece of legislation and it's not clear whether it's supposed to be given exactly the same meaning or not. I would guess that most lawyers are tending to interpret it in a similar fashion. But it doesn't have the benefit of the same exemptions that it had under the other piece of legislation. So we entered this slightly strange, what does that really mean? And, um, but in terms of, you know, the, the thing everyone talks about is, is, is people want to clear whether NFT is really a crypto asset or not for the purpose of the registration rules. To be completely blunt about it, I've yet to sit, you know, the, the rules talk about rights to a contract or, or something of value. I've yet to see any form of NFT seller put together an argument which would convince me that they are not a crypto asset as determined by the money laundering regulations. So I never like to close the door because you can always talk me into it if you give me good enough logic, if you see what I mean. But you know, there's an element here of um, making things a little bit complicated because you don't want to get registered, but bluntly, whether that will really work or not. So, so your your feeling is really, or your 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 gut is that that every NFT business in the UK should be looking to go on the sort of crypto asset register. Is that the... well? It depends what you're doing. I mean, this is where yeah. the structure becomes important. So, you know, if you simply take an NFT and you stick it on OpenSea, mm. you've created a crypto asset, but OpenSea are doing all the arranging. Terms. You've got to be careful how you market it, and you've got to be clever how you market it. Because if the market, you, you market it in a bad way, I, if you market it in terms of buy this wonderful NFT, click here, then you're arranging a specific transaction, even if you back to back it with OpenSea. If you do a kind of more open, we've launched a new NFT, it's available on the following five platforms, 
then I think you've got a far stronger argument you haven't arranged any particular transaction because there isn't a straight transaction under any of those five different ones. Um, so I'm not saying every NFT needs to be registered or anything like that. What I'm trying to get at, though, is, you know, that definition of crypto asset is pretty broad. Trying to argue an NFT is not a crypto asset is going to be a challenge, shall we say. The ones which tend to argue they're not crypto assets tend to be more along the lines of we have a blockchain to see for transparency purposes. There is no token as such. You know, if it's, the NFT, it's just an information database. Then you're moving out of that sort of crypto asset type definition because all you're doing is you're giving people a blockchain. And maybe an ERC-71 blockchain, but it's just a blockchain to hold data. Right? So you're not really selling stuff. But as soon as you say, I'm going to sell you this NFT, it, it feels like we're going down that route. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. The psychology is is fascinating, and um, um, I, I mean, James, I think I think we could we could continue sort of talking on a lot of these topics for a long, long time. But um, I'm uh, I'm I'm keen to when there's another regulatory development or or changes in law. I'm sure we'll try and get you on this podcast again. But, but it's been a been a great conversation as ever. So I'm delighted. It's been great fun. Thank you.